0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm about to play an interview I just did with one of the most exciting young artists out there. She was born Gabby Wilson, but you know her as her. That's H period, E period, R period. And she just won an Oscar for the great song she wrote for Judas and the Black Messiah. She won Song of the Year at the Grammys for her song I Can't Breathe. And all that happened before she released her debut album. That just came out, it's called Back of My Mind. Actually, there were a bunch of EPs and compilation albums before that, but this is her first, as she says, her first complete statement, her first official full album. And she's only 24 years old. She's a multi-instrumentalist. She's probably best known as a guitar player, but that's far from the only instrument she plays. And all that is totally evident on her new album, which manages to be a totally modern sounding R&B album while also incorporating a ton of live instrumentation and not an easy trick to pull off. So let's get straight to that interview, which covers a lot of ground. So again, thanks so much for being here. It's great to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to uh, be here virtually.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So you've been... Releasing music for a while, but you know the way things work. Your album, Back of My Mind, is technically your debut album because the other stuff is technically uh, EPs, and it's it's quite a piece of work. It's quite a complete piece of work. It's quite a statement. Maybe start yes. by just explaining that journey, because it, again, it, it's been a minute.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really like to call it a debut album necessarily. Right. Um, I, I technically debuted with my EP you know, volume one. Um, but really, with this album, it is the, f- the first full body of work. To me, the difference is the EPs are kind of very specific, a very specific sound, a very specific time, a very specific feeling, you know? Um, and this album is all of those things in one and more. You know, it's a, it's a lot of the different moods of R&B. So, yeah, I, I like to to think that this is my first official album.
0: Was it about finding the right mix of songs? Was it about having the right songs pop off on radio so you could release it? What was this sort of, uh, or was it about COVID? Because like, you, you were deep into it even in 2019, I believe.
1: Yeah, actually some songs were even written in 2017, and 2018. Wow. So yeah, the, there. Are, um, with this, the whole process of the album, has been over the past few years because. Oops, sorry, <laughs> the the whole process of, of making this album has been um, the past few years because after I released my first two EPs, uh, Volume One and Volume Two, which you know became a, a compilation, you know the two, I went on tour for like two years, for like two and a half years. I was just touring. 2017, 2018. It was literally just on the road, just grinding it out and finding time to create in between that and then uh, making, I used to know her. And then finally in 2019, taking a break from like actual tours, but still doing shows here and there, I was really busy. That's kind of when I was really able to lock in
0: on making an album. And uh, side note, what's your dog's name?
1: (laughs) My dog's name is Mochi. Oh he gets a little noisy. You know, that's that's how it is when you when you're working in the house.
0: <laughs> it's a uh, boy <poor>, girl. <laughs> He's a boy. Okay. I wish that you would have said his name is him, but that's all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. All right. That that makes for a cooler story. My dog's <laughs> name is him.
0: <laughs> but yeah, we're happy to have Mochi as a guest star featuring Mochi. <laughs> Thanks. So what were some of the key moments, the the key songs that kind of told you, like, hey, I'm, this is starting to come together, I'm starting to have this statement that I want to make here?
1: Yeah, you know, um, honestly, throughout the years, I never stopped creating. Like, of course, you know, being on the road is different. That's kind of a different mode. I didn't really have time to dive into the album, but I really was not, I wasn't really having, like, a goal or anything. I just said, you know, I want to make great music and... um and I have so many songs that you know didn't make the album, but with certain songs that did, I, I think the goal at the end of it all, you know, finally sequencing it and putting it all together was really trying to show the moods of R and B and all the different things that that R and B can be. It's like celebration of R and B. And there were songs that were written earlier, like I want to say 2018 or 2019, a song called "Lucky" that's on the album that to me reminded me of. Volume One, but like elevated and more musical, um, but it still had the same vibe. And that song was like, "Oh, this sounds like what my album should be—like an elevated version of my first two projects that are like still charting, you know, and and still being discovered." Lucky you belong to me. You know who it go to be lucky. I ain't intervene. Lucky. But yeah, I, I think it was that song. But then there was also a song that was written more recently, like in the past few months, was Bloody Waters, that was so much more musical and kind of revolutionary. And, you know, it was just a heavy falsetto that also reminded me of the approach on Volume 1, but so, so much uh, more. It's a lot more different. And it just, it, it just the, the quality of that song, to me, is what makes this album you know better and what makes this album um just like a, a, a full scope you know of r b as opposed to just like one mood or one version of it trying trying and then there's songs like don't that was written in i want to say 2019 and it was a lot more musical it was like okay we're bringing live bands into the studio space it's not just about Tracks, you know, and I've always liked to incorporate some live instrumentation, but now we like fully took it all the way there. Don't, don't me, babe, this this Those were like three songs I think um, that I think about throughout the years that that helped shape the album.
0: Uh, yeah, I was specifically going to ask about Bloody Waters because I, I think that's an just an amazing song, and it. Thank you. It's. It comes really close to embodying that Marvin Gaye, what's going on feel as close as I've heard anyone get to it. I don't know Thank how specifically you. you were, I don't know how specifically you were kind of, you were trying to get in that vibe, but, but it does feel that way with a great baseline, by I think Thundercat on it. Yeah.
1: Thundercat is amazing. It's funny when we were creating the record, he started playing and I was like, I wanted to feel like James Jamerson, you know, who played on all the Motown records. And he was like, say less. And he started going in and we were going crazy. We were going crazy. It was it was fun. But yeah, no, I didn't even think about Marvin when I was creating it, you know, afterwards I was like, oh, it, it does kind of give me that vibe, but it's really just the, the I think what Marvin did um, and what I'm inspired by in his music is like being able to sing something Sing something really sweetly and really like nice and, and light and almost feel good. But saying things that are really painful, like that's a very hard thing to do. You know, it's like a, a crazy uh, balance.
0: Yeah, I, I just think it's uh, extraordinary track. And you were aiming, I think, to, you know, when you said you elevated the sound of your EPs and were able to approach able to find similar approaches but as you say more musical one of the things was you've learned how to incorporate live instruments into what is still a very modern r&b sound which isn't easy
2: it's an Uh, interesting
0: mix so like how how do you do it (laughs) without making it sound retro you know because i think that's what you pull off
1: yeah i think it's a balance it's like incorporating i don't know to me it's about feel it's not something i really think about um but to me, it's all about the feeling like I love I'm a soul baby. I like I, I live for, you know, late 60s soul music and uh, 70s, you know, soul. So I grew up listening to Sly Stone and, and Confunction, who are both from the Bay Area. You know, that's just in my DNA. And um, my, my dad just played that kind of music around and James Brown and, and all those guys. So when I got older, like I started to to feel it come through me. You know, I started to to feel myself using that foundation that I had without trying. You know, I was just there, whether it's the approach of, you know, how, how behind I am on the beat when I'm playing the bass or when I'm singing a note, you know, how much soul or how, how flat on purpose I want to be, you know, to give you that feeling and that kind of pain, like Aretha did or Mary did, or, you know, it's like flat on purpose, you know, just to give it that edge. Like everything is not perfect. It's, it's passion over perfection. So I think that's kind of how you connect the two, you know, a lot of things are, are manufactured. A lot of things try to be, and you just have to, to feel, You just have to feel and um, all those influences just kind of come out because it's in you. You know, you get out what you put in. I always say that with everything. And um, I I think that's kind of the foundation of it. But in really thinking about like the sonics, I'm all about mixing the program trap drums and real bass lines or real key parts and um, DJ Camper, somebody I work with a lot, you know, he grew up in the church, so he's a musician, he speaks that same language and so does D-Mile and so many other producers, Cardiac, you know, um, he understands music. Those are some of the the people that I work with. They just speak that language and understand like all the eras of music and appreciate all the eras of music. So um, it starts with that, you know? (laughs)
2: And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use. And you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
0: Now, people probably know that you play guitar. They've seen you play guitar, but you, you also play drums. You play bass, keyboards, anything else? Yeah. Did I miss something?
1: Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, you know, the main instruments that I play. I play upright.
0: I oh, play, wow.
1: Yeah, uh, I played a little bit of baritone and, and saxophone in, in high school. but Was it guitar that you started with? Actually, I want to say it was piano. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, because my dad used to sit me on his lap um, when I was like three years old, you know, and I just would bang on the keys. And then eventually I like, I think my, the first song I learned to play was like lean on me.
0: Right. Cause you just kind of move the same shape up and down the, right. Exactly. Maybe take us through your, your journey a little bit from, you know, playing the chords of lean on me to, <laughs> <laughs> to the level of musical mastery. You developed, Obviously, you know, you, you sang with your dad's band. There was a lot going on. But how did you kind of learn all this stuff?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's been a, a journey for sure. Um, playing with my dad's band, definitely I, I would learn songs. So one one uh, reason I, I started playing the bass was uh, I think we were in like a grocery store or something, uh, me and my mom and, and my dad. And um, Boogie Oogie Oogie came on the radio by a Taste of Honey. And my mom was like, oh, um, I want you to learn this song. And I told her, I was like, oh, mom, this is like a bass driven song. I, you know, I don't play the bass. And she was like, OK. And so we went to the Guitar Center that night. And um, yeah, I, I got a bass. It was pink. And I, I learned how to play Boogie yogi and, and it was something I, I picked up pretty fast. I think I was eight years old or nine years old. And, um, you know, from then on, I learned sly songs. I learned uh, we are family, which is actually not the easiest baseline to play. Mm. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I learned it pretty quickly when I was young and, and everybody was, was impressed or, or something. <laughs> so I was singing and playing the song. Um, and with guitar, you know, I, I learned how to play the Purple Rain solo. Uh, well, actually, one of the first solos I learned to play was Beat It by Michael Jackson, you know, Eddie Van Halen's uh, solo on
0: there. Now, hold on a second. When was 12 years old. Hold on a second. <laughs> that was one of the first solos? You yes. Play? Yeah, Come on. it
1: was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of inspired me to like to rock out a little bit was that. And then um, watching Prince and Lenny Kravitz perform together in the the rave into the year 2000, that whole concert DVD, I used to watch that with my dad while he was like making breakfast in the morning. And um, I, I want to say they did American Woman. Um, or they, they did fly away together. I want to get away. And Larry Graham was playing bass. And uh, yeah, Lenny, Lenny and Prince were, were playing together and I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like I, I could do that.
0: <laughs> and so
1: that, that kind of inspired me. But yeah, there, there were so many of those moments where it was just like spark something in me. It, it made me want to really dive into to being a musician. Like it was just, it
0: was just in me. I think you went to a Buddy Guy concert when you were like seven years old.
1: I did. Yes, I did. I went to I went to a Buddy Guy concert and I got to meet him. We went backstage and I met uh, Jim Dunlop. He was there and I thought it was just guitar picks. I didn't know it was like a real person. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I met him. And that was, like, really cool. Um, but right. yeah, for, I pe- still for people have... who don't
0: know that Dunlop is a famous brand of guitar picks, but you met the actual guy. <laughs>
1: yes, I met the actual guy when I was seven years old. But my my um, Betty guy, he he signed a guitar strap for me when I was really young, when I was seven, and I still have it.
0: And unlike a lot of people your age, you're, I think, 24 right now. Yep. You learned about the blues, about B.B. King and Freddie King and and Buddy and Mm -hmm. and really absorbed that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a big part of me because it was, you know, what my dad listened to.
0: And I think that ended up indirectly influencing your songwriting. I think you can hear it in the sort of undercurrents.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that. And, you know, I mean, since I was young, I was writing this music that was, uh, I guess, very, like, painful and emotional, even if, you know, I had never been through anything, you know crazy. I'd never been through anything like that, never been married or anything like that, you know, but women who have been, you know, relate to it, I guess. Um, and, and I think it's just from listening to the blues. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you, but I, I'm guessing, you know, listening to the blues has something to do with it just because of how much emotion is, is in the blues.
0: Now, as people can probably tell from from hearing you talk about the kind of mastery you achieved early on, you were really considered sort of a child prodigy. And you had a record deal early on. You also did some acting early on. And it was kind of it was kind of pretty clear that you were destined to do something big artistically. But mm-hmm. you, along the way, and we've talked about this before, you you had to sort of find your style. You had to go from this raw talent to I am this. This is my style. This is the stuff that I do. These are the kind of songs I write. Right. And, and maybe you can sort of explain a little bit what that that journey was.
1: Yeah, it was, it was life, you know? Just growing up, being a, a musician and playing, it doesn't automatically make you an artist, you know? And it's crazy that people called me that then. I, I still, I'm like, really? You know, I look back at those videos and I'm like, I did pretty good, but I'm, like, I'm embarrassed, you know, it's funny. It's funny to me and I was just doing my thing. I was on the Today Show and, and doing a lot of TV show performances, singing Alicia Keys songs, and then I was right back in a classroom. Just like a, a normal kid and, and um, I was practicing learning how to play and, and you know just being inspired by different music, discovering different music at different points in my life. you know I think it started off with like a lot of the old school stuff because that's how me and my, my dad bonded was you know learning all those those songs and yeah, I think when I started getting a little bit older, I, I started discovering music myself, you know as you do like when you're a teenager, when you're in middle school, it's what the kids around you are listening to and what you discover just going online. Like I used to go on AOL music when I was a kid and like, listen to Usher and Kelly Clarkson and like all those artists that were really big and like, you know, the early two thousands. And then as I got into like middle school, it was like, there were so many different albums, you know, that, that inspired me. And then when I got to high school, I was listening to like Bryson Tiller and Drake and Janae Aiko and Party Next Door and people like that. And that, I think through listening to that music, I found my genre of music that I, I wanted to create or my, the style.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, um, and, and so, you know, throughout those years, when I got signed, I was going to New York and creating, just making music, just working on my craft. I worked with so many people. I worked with Babyface when I was like 14 years old. I worked with, you know, all these different producers, um, really young, And I just learned and and learned and I took, you know, the good from everybody. And and I I was writing a lot. I was spending, you know, a week in New York and then I would go back home and like I said, be like a normal teenager. And so in that being a teenager, you know, I had been through things, you know, that normal teenagers go through what I like to call like the evolution of woman, the evolution of young woman. And uh, I discovered that perfection, you know, should never be the goal and, and being, A 15-year-old I always looked at you know older women and said I'm not gonna make those same mistakes you know I'm not gonna do you know I'm I'm not gonna go through what these women have and you know I I did I did it was like I did become her you know I did become that girl and uh, I had to learn I had to learn some things on my own and so in that I started making this music that was like a lot more emotional it was a lot more poetry based because I was a poet and, uh, like, losing was a poem before it was a song, pretty much, you know, it was like a spoken word. And then all the songs just followed and I, and I realized I found my sound. This is who I am as an artist, not just a musician, because, you know, one thing to be a musician and a singer and another thing to be an artist. And so I discovered who I wanted to become as an artist. And um, yeah, that's, that's how that happened.
0: Let's talk about the opening track of the album, We Made It.
1: I there's a
0: few times on the album where I actually hear the direct Drake influence, especially lyrically, like you dig into his style of like, there's a certain uh, Drake attitude <laughs> that seems to come in mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and even flow wise, occasionally I, I hear it, but that's a, a perfect opening track. How did that one come together?
1: We made it. Oh my gosh. Um, I love that song. Like it's, it's so many things to me, you know, It's it's that's one of the songs where I feel like if nobody knows anything about me, they don't know who I am as an artist or anything, like if I had to just play them one song, it would probably be We Made It because it's all the elements I think that make me who I am, you know, it's all the instruments. It's me talking about my journey and kind of celebrating my journey and the ups and downs and the people and celebrating the people that have been with me throughout the whole journey. Um, and then of course the live drums, the keys and the guitar, the solo that I played on there and working with DJ Camper, we both just like to have fun in the studio and that's what we did with that song. Like, let's just do something that reminds us of like, I don't know, Dave Grohl or like Coldplay, but also is like hip hop inspired, you know, like on the verses, you know, I have not really feeling like, like it's totally a hip hop flow but it's you know something else and uh that's that's how that came and, and I felt like this is the perfect way to start this album because it, i'm literally showing you these are all the the things that i don't know that that make the journey worth it you know it's is the the whole journey and, and and the process and you know people doubting you and saying you know this is what i want to be one day this is who i want to become um and and now being there it's like i had to celebrate that and uh you know, do it through through all the instruments that I play.
0: There's a couple moments on the album, and that, again, that's something that sort of reminded me of Drake, but it's also just a hip hop thing in general, where we talk about people who doubted you and thought you could never. I mean, it did strike me though that since your your talent was so apparent at such a young age, where the I'm sure no one ever said you're not talented, but were the people who are like for some reason, you that you wouldn't make it in the modern music industry? Was that actually something you, you you truly heard from people?
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I was signed at 14, and people don't understand that things don't just happen overnight. People who aren't in the music industry don't understand how the mu- music industry works and, for some reason, think they do. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I never expected instant success because I've learned from those before me that that's not how it happens. Like, overnight success is really 10 years, you know, or... Ten years plus so um mbk entertainment who manages me they manage alicia keys before and you know she what took what seven years or something like that and so it was like close to the same with me and um yeah i i knew that that it wasn't going to be instant and a lot of people i think thought that it would you know oh you got signed you're about to be like famous and you know, oh, I've seen you on TV, you know, aren't you rich? Like all of those things, like, no, that's not how it works. Like, you know, being 10 years old on the Today Show, like, you know, you think that the, they gave me like a million dollars on spot? Like, is that, you know, is that is that how, how it happens? Like, you know, so so when I did get signed um, and I was just developing all those years and not putting out any music, not doing anything, but creating and working on my craft, it was like, oh, she's going to be shelved, you know, she's just going to be, you know, the musician, like who's a prodigy and that's it you know, she's not a songwriter or she's not, you know, this, she's not that. And even after releasing volume one and volume two, people told me not to play guitar on stage. Like, oh, that, you know, that's going to go over kids' heads. Like, you know, at one point in time, it wasn't necessarily cool to like play instruments. I think that's changing now. Like everybody wants to be able to play an instrument and incorporate it in their show. So that's kind of what happened, you know, was those kinds of opinions that I wasn't going to be, become an artist you know I was going to be shelved and and all that kind of stuff but thankfully there were more people that supported me and and more people that encouraged me and embraced me than there were anybody that doubted me
0: I mean I guess that doesn't shock me they were like don't play a guitar on stage it would just confuse the kids they're not used to seeing that it was that kind of the
1: (laughs) I guess I don't know I I don't know
0: (laughs) did you ever consider that for a second
1: no, never. I'm like, this is who I am. When I was a kid, actually, there was like an opportunity for me to open up for some like old school artists, I guess. And my dad was taking me to the to the venue and we rolled in my piano. I must've been like 11 years old. And um, the people there were like, no, sorry, um, she has to sing to track. And my dad literally defended me and was like, no, she that's not who she is. We brought the piano because that's what she does. She plays piano and she sings. There's nothing wrong with playing the track, but that's not what she does. They were like, no, we can't, you know, accommodate you for that, and we left. I didn't perform. Wow. Yeah. So you got to stick to your guns.
0: You laid the line down early. That's great. Definitely. So you've had a couple uh, collaborations with DJ Khaled recently, and they both turned out really well. One is on his project, one is on your project. Yes. on some level, it feels like, you know, very different worlds. On the other hand, it, it feels like it just worked. So what did you learn from his way of working and how did how did those collaborations work?
1: Um, you know, it's crazy because I love DJ Khaled. I love what he does. I love his energy. I mean, who doesn't, you know, admire like how everything is a movie around him.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: the energy surrounding it is, is great. But I was in Miami and we had been talking briefly at award shows, like, oh, hopefully get to, we get to work together one day. And I was in Miami and he called me and, you know, said, come to my house. And so we went and it was like, they had the whole chef, you know, like a course meal. Like I said, everything is a movie with DJ Cab. Like it was very spectacular and nice. And he was just saying like, hey, I'm about to play you these records. And, you know, I think, you know, they're one of them once, you know, they're 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 special. And I was like, okay. And I heard it and I was like, wow, you know, first it was going crazy Um, and and it wasn't finished yet. It was like the beginning of the idea. And I already could feel, you know, how how big of a, a record it was. And it's definitely like different for me energy wise. But I don't know why I gravitated. Towards it so much, and I've just been feeling like a creative freedom more recently. So I think the timing couldn't have been better, um, and that's why it worked so well because I was open. And for me, like with with artists, sometimes it's the right song, but maybe not the right time. And that's why this album is the way that it is. And there's songs on there from 2017 because, you know, there, there's a right time for everything. So, anyways. Um, plays the records and there's like speakers coming from behind me and in front of me and it's like m- like super loud like I'm hoping that I don't go deaf before I'm 25 but like you know this is how you feel the music so you know it's blasted and I'm, I'm excited and and um, of course I can have it all comes on and it's the Beanie Siegel sample and of course like that's already a nostalgic record so I was so excited And it was an opportunity for me to, you know, just talk my stuff a little bit. So I I was ready for it. I I was really ready for it. And um, I stepped away and just like kind of listened to the songs. And then I went back to New York and and did my thing on it and I I sent it back to him. And of course, I got fire emojis back. So, you know, (laughs) I was confident that that I did them uh, justice and and he loved them. I loved them. And and yeah, I was just excited that I had been working with him finally and that you know, I stepped out of my comfort zone and I think that's that's why I appreciate DJ Khaled so much is like he saw something in me that I wouldn't necessarily have seen in, in myself and, and then
0: I was open to it. What do you think he saw in you specifically? What are you referring to?
1: You know, I don't know. I, I think he he wanted to bring something unexpected. Mm. um for me you know with with him like he wanted to do something that he knew would be unexpected and and that's what i i appreciate so much is like he saw that i could push myself or that i could go there and own that you know talking like that on a record and and saying some of those things going crazy literally like going crazy on a record like with amigos like the collaborations on that album too i think were unexpected and that's what he does like the collaborations that he comes up with are just like, you know, out of this world. And, um, I love that. And I always wanted to do a song with the Migos. So it's kind of a full circle moment.
0: (laughs) And then I can have it all on your album. You got Bryson Tiller on that. And that's when it was a big influence on you early on.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, um, that was the first tour I ever went on was opening up for him. And, um, I learned so much being on that, that tour and, man, like, I didn't know that anybody knew my records. And then I went, on, you know, on tour, and it seemed like most of the audiences, everywhere we went, were were singing my songs. So, um, definitely.
0: You mentioned that track, Hold On, which is a great song. How did that one actually come together?
1: Oh, man, um, I was actually... I, I had a session with a producer. Well, no, actually what happened was somebody else had a session and I guess um, their producer didn't show up. So a friend of mine, Jordan, he's a really dope up and coming manager AR. Um, he had this engineer, I guess, that was working for the studio. And since their producer didn't show up for their session, the engineer was like, oh, I produce. So he met these guys that were super talented and uh, they ended up producing for him in his session. Um, and so he introduced me to them because they, they came through for him. You know, they, they came through when the producer didn't show up. And uh, I met these guys and they're, they're young and, and um, both from New York and, and Jersey, I believe. And, and I worked with them for the first time and, and they just do so many things, uh, Lewis and Brendan, they're incredible. And, um, I picked up the guitar and we, we both started just vibing and the, the, the whole time I was kind of just mumbling things like, you know, in the beginning of, of the creative process, sometimes I will literally sit on the mic and just like mumble, you know, lyrics or just mumble like melodies and it won't be really saying anything. Um, but it was so powerful at the end of it like when I mumbled everything it was like oh this is a song like it sounded like it was a song even though there were no words there and it was literally that for six months Um, after I worked with those guys I I didn't I didn't write to it yet I didn't know exactly how I wanted to say what I wanted to say yet and um, during quarantine is is when I finished it um, in the house and yeah that that's kind of how that happened Um, but I really wanted to to play guitar on it. I felt like it needed it needed an edge because um, in the beginning it's kind of just a strum with a, a little bit of like a chorus and then um, I, I decided to just take it there I, I, It needed some bending. It needed some like pain and emotion to, to really take the the message home so that's that's kind of what I did.
0: How much recording did you do overall in, in during the uh, quarantine?
1: honestly I, I didn't do much I didn't do much recording in the beginning. I can't breathe was like the first it was one of the first songs that I recorded like by myself in the house you know it was like me being my engineer and everything yeah, it was it was a, a special time, but I, I I had to you know engineer myself and, and all that. I was in my mom's house and like I had to wait for the dogs to like stop barking before I could sing the next line. Like it was a whole thing. Um, but I didn't I didn't record too much in, in the beginning. It wasn't until the end when we started feeling a little bit more comfortable. Like I, I started having sessions and everybody was getting tested before, um, but still it was really scary. So.
0: Mm.
1: yeah it was a weird it was a weird time it was a weird time
0: I Can't Breathe was obviously a moment incredible powerful topical song that uh, that also won song of the year at the Grammys Cream. Uh, tell me about it's obvious what inspired it of course but, but tell me about actually writing that song
1: yeah you know um, there was a lot going on obviously in 2020 it was like an unforgettable year you know to say the least but during the summer, when I did go back home to quarantine with my family, um, and even before then, you know, watching the protesters outside my window and being able to see the, the pain of everybody and the, the anxiety of everybody and then feeling it myself and not being able to escape, you know, what was in front of us, which was a good and bad thing. You know, it was, it took a toll on all of us, but also it exposed a lot. And that's, and that's kind of the, the positive that we can see out of 2020 was that a lot was exposed and and we're a lot more knowledgeable now. We're looking deeper into things, which is so important, but it it literally was a conversation on FaceTime with my friend T.R. Thomas, who I I write with a lot, just literally asking ourselves those questions. You know, Um, some of the lyrics, like how do we cope when we don't love each other? Like we were literally asking ourselves those questions. Like, can you believe what's going on around us? And um, I have this old Martin guitar that I've had since I was like 11 years old. It was my first acoustic guitar ever. And um, it's like a mini Martin and it stays next to my bed. So I picked it up and just started playing. And I, I played those chords and I started singing the chorus, you know, I can't breathe. And it just happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember Tierra saying like, ooh, I got chills when you did that. Like, that's the chorus. And um, yeah, we just we just filled it with all the questions that made up our conversation you know what is a gun to a man that surrenders and um all those things how can we agree that we're equal as people if, if we can't even see what's evil like that's real you know that that's just a conversation and I think it's a conversation we all had in 2020 and that's how the song came out I didn't really think of it as anything you know I, I didn't think of it as this is something the world needs to hear this is just this was just something I felt mm-hmm. This is something that was necessary for me you know and, and yeah, you just never know who you touch or who, who you can impact or, I don't know, change thought processes. You know, you, you never imagine something that you create and feel doing that. Um, and, and that's why that song is uh, unbelievable to me because of, of what it's done. And winning song of the year, of course, is like, <laughs> what? Like, that's crazy. As soon as he called my name, I, I couldn't believe it.
0: You've had quite a run of topical songs, actually. Next up was Fight For You, yeah, and we, we talked definitely. about Bloody Waters. And Fight For You was for the great movie, uh, Jesus and Black Messiah, and that won an Oscar, actually. So, you know, you've had
2: <laughs> Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been quite, quite a time for you, but, uh, you know, tell me about your Oscar winning song.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I learned so much through creating that song. Obviously, uh, I'm from the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, the the Black Panthers were, were rich in the Bay Area, but I didn't know too much about them. You don't learn much in school about the Panthers, you know, in Chicago or, or the Bay. So watching the film when they when they called me, you know, I was like, Oh, I would love to, you know, I knew the name Fred Hampton, but I didn't know much about him, you know, as a, as a person. So watching the film, I was like, oh my gosh, this story is crazy. And why am I just now learning about this? Why why, why haven't we known about this? You know, look at all the good that the Panthers did and the, the fact that they took that away, that narrative that was changed throughout the years. And that's all I could think about was the fact that the Panthers, I don't know, just all the work that they did has been kind of just like forgotten in history. So watching that film just opened my eyes a lot and it, it made me sad but also uh, hopeful. And so I felt like the song needed to reflect a, a personal feeling um, to really reach people because you know, writing a song for a movie is different. It, it's a different approach, of course. You're like trying to cater to the film, but I, I think when you tap into something that's more personal in, in you know thinking about the film, then it, it's just that more, much more powerful.
0: So musically, you also got a chance on that one to to really go full retro in some ways. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, And that's honestly, that's what I was most excited about. I was like, oh, we can take it there. Like, let's let's really go there, you know, with the the music that I grew up listening to. Literally, I picked up the bass and started playing around and then I had like left like to go to the bathroom or something. And then D-Miles started playing. And then, uh, yeah, he started building on this this groove that I really loved, and uh, I um, started to think about the themes of the movie, um, the love story that was in Fred Hampton's in the in the film, and then of course, Fred Hampton fighting for Black people, but also fighting for all communities. Like he had visited all communities and and, and fought for them too, and you know, he just fought for social justice and change and all of these things for, for kids to be educated, to know their, their roots and all of these things that I, I thought were so inspiring and empowering. And, and I really wanted to talk about that in the song. So, you know, the message to me was I'll always fight for you. Like even today as we're seeing these protests and we're seeing these people fighting for this generation, they're continuing the work of people like Fred Hampton. They're continuing the work of those that came before us and we still have a lot more work to do. So. That's the idea is, you know, I'll I'll always fight for you um, as long as I'm standing, as long as we're standing, you know, it it never ends. And yeah, the struggle continues, the fight continues and and the hope continues. And that's the most important part, which is why the music has to feel good. So, you know, the music got to make you want to dance, you know, and and take you away from the pain a little bit, but also remind you of the pain and remind you uh, how far we've come and how far we've we've got to go. Um, And that's kind of where I was where I was coming from.
0: And writing topically does seem to have opened up a whole new vein of lyric writing for you in a whole new potential direction going forward, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Um, You know, I I mean, that's just coming with age. You know, I I didn't have as strong as a perspective at 18 or 19 as I have now. I've learned so much. I I know to listen twice as much as I speak, you know, uh, from being a kid. And now Hmm. I'm a little bit older and and I have more to say.
0: Your album is full of great ballads and it kind of, it keeps that, you know, it goes in a lot of different directions, but it, it, it's kind of sticks for the most part in a ballad vein. And going forward, have you thought about, you know, maybe ne- it, th- that there's room for totally different vibes, something hitting a little harder or more up tempo stuff and like now that you've kind of mastered that direction?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm going to continue making music that, that feels good to me. I, I got a, um, a reggae project that's going to come out soon, which I'm I'm super excited about. So that'll be something, you know, completely different. And of course, um, I'm going to just keep the music going. You know, um, I, I really love making the retro sounding music. You might hear more of that. You know, uh, you'll definitely hear a lot more sounds, but I thought it was important for me at least to make, you know, just a an R&B album and celebrate R&B and show people, you know, R&B is not dead, so that's that was kind of why I, I did this album the way that I did it, but um, oh yeah, you know, I, I think from here it's like, it's whatever I feel.
0: Tell me about the reggae project.
1: Oh yeah, I don't want to say much, but uh, <laughs> it,
0: it'll be here soon, don't worry like is it an album is it like old school reggae is it like i don't
1: know i don't know what to call it yet but i think you'll you'll definitely get different uh types of reggae on there it's going to be like roots but also dance hall but also r&b mixed with reggae and uh yeah you'll get you'll get different different vibes well
0: that's that's exciting
1: Definitely. Is that, can't wait so, for you to hear it.
0: Yeah. Without, is that something that's done or you're still working on it?
1: Um, I'm still kind of finishing it up, uh, you know, when I have the time. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's being worked on. I think the meat of it is there.
0: Would you ever want to make a, like a full on rock album? Because you're certainly capable of it.
1: Oh, definitely. I, I would love to. So you never know. You never know what could happen.
0: How much time do you spend keeping up your chops on all your instruments? I (laughs) was—it's funny—I was asking because I was—I was literally asking Dave Grohl about this recently because you know he's obviously was Mm -hmm. you know one of the greatest drummers, but he spends most of his time playing guitar these days. I was like, do you ever practice drums? He's like, no, I should. (laughs)
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. That's how I feel. It's like I go through phases where like for a while it's like I was just playing bass like nonstop, like this is all I want to do, just play bass. But I was neglecting the piano. Started playing piano. And um, in my live shows, I was playing a lot of piano, and I, I only played a little bit of guitar. Now, I now I mostly. And then I felt like, oh, I'm neglecting the guitar. Now I need to play guitar more. So, I, I definitely go through phases. Um, lately, it's been guitar and drum heavy, um, but I feel like I'm neglecting the piano, and so I'll, I'll get back to it. And uh, that, yeah, that, that's how it goes. <laughs> that's always how it goes. But it also depends on you know what mood I'm in or what feeling I'm trying to trying to capture. But. I try to I try to balance it out and, and try to choose different days for, for different instruments. In a perfect world, that's how it happens, but you know.
0: And you were obviously along with everybody else, kept off the road for a long time. How yeah. did that how did you kind of feel about that?
1: Oh man, that was that was painful. It was painful because I had even taken a break um, in twenty nineteen, you know, from touring. And I was still doing shows, of course. I did a lot of festivals in twenty nineteen, but I really did not um, get to be on a full out tour, you know, I haven't since, since 2018, that's almost three years, which is like, so painful, like, I'm, I'm ready. There's nothing like being at your own show with your fans coming to see you and, and experiencing the music. And so, um, yeah, I'm ready for that to come back.
0: And I want to return to this idea of R&B and reminding people what R&B can do and embodying that. I mean, do you feel like r can be kind of like lost in the shuffle in, in a world ruled by hip-hop? Or is, is that like, what is your thinking?
1: It definitely is. But, you know, things change. You know, trends change. Th- things change in music. Right now, I think R&B is very much, you know, up there with hip-hop. But it definitely gets, gets a little overshadowed. But, you know, at one point, it was rock. At one point, it was pop music. At, at one point, that, that's all you hear on the radio. So... For me, doing something like Lights On Fest, you know, my, my festival, it's it's really giving those artists an opportunity to celebrate themselves and to be heard and, and to, yeah, you know, to, to really show people like R&B is not dead because people always say that, but it's never dead. You know, it, it lives in everything. It's rhythm and blues. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's an interesting time. And, um, things will constantly change things are going to change it's not going to be the same in the next five years it probably won't even be the same in the next two years so you know we'll see we'll see how it goes
0: yeah your festival is coming back it Uh, is tell me first of all about the original idea for it because i I think it's really i'm not sure that there's a, a female artist who's had their own festival in recent memory unfortunately so it's 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 a breakthrough in many ways and it's a brilliant idea for a festival tell me about how you originally had the idea and tell me about bringing it back
1: yeah i'm the first black woman you know to own a festival and i partnered with live nation and i remember having conversations with jeff janine and um, sean g at live nation and he was kind of the one believing in it you know believing in it the most saying like hey you know i think you could do your own festival and i'm like Of course I want to do that but like could we really pull this off like could we do it and we all kind of looked at each other and we we did we we pulled it together and and that was like the idea was you know to create a platform for for R&B for for something that I don't think is is really out there especially in the Bay Area you know you have a lot of festivals but they're all a mix they're all a mix of things and I really wanted to make something specific for R&B so that's how that happened you know it was just like I want to like pretty much throw the coolest party ever. You know, what, what better way to do that than through music, a music festival. And and it's like selfish in a way because I don't want to see my favorite artists, you know, on the stage. And, and yeah, that's that's the idea. Um, and it's, it's shedding light on R&B and showing people it's alive and well. 2019, we did it and it was a huge success. It was sold out, you know, in like 30 minutes, 20 minutes. What is it? 12,000, yeah, 12,000 seats, and um, this year, we've got two days, and now, today, we just announced that it's coming back to, or it's coming to New York, it's coming back to the Bay Area for two days, but it'll be in in, uh, Barclays Center in October, so um, very exciting, like super crazy that I'm doing this, I still, you know, can't believe it, but I'm ready, I'm ready for the the energy of the people, and, you know, what better way to, to do it than with my own festival
0: absolutely it is wild because you've made it to where you wanted to be and you're only 24 so you have a <laughs> you have a whole career ahead of you i do you know have do you have plans mapped out for like a, some people really there are artists who make like five and ten years sort of like plans are, are you that kind of person or are you or i know you're also trying to live in the moment so maybe that goes against that
1: I mean, yeah, there are definitely plans. There are definitely plans. I, I, I live in the moment, but there's always goals and there's always things that need to be done that I want to be done, that I want to have done. And there's certain things like stadiums, like that. that's in my plans. Like hopefully I can do that, you know? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot um, that I want to do, but I'm kind of just taking it one day at a time. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't think I would win an Oscar. Like that wasn't... Something I thought uh, I could do, so that's where I'm at. Is like, all right, well, hey, the, expect the unexpected, but also just enjoy every moment. So,
0: and I know you're gonna, you really want to do some some acting, which you did when you were little as well.
1: Uh, a little here and there, I, I wouldn't say you know anything anything seriously, but uh, definitely, I definitely wanna wanna make my, my debut as an as an
0: actress, and um,
1: yeah, and kill it there. Win an Oscar as an actress. That's definitely a goal.
0: And I also know that a lot of your family was very impressed, as was the rest of the world, by seeing you in that Old Navy commercial, which was (laughs) like it was it was on so much. It's quite a bit of exposure. What's it like to shoot something like that?
1: Um it's it was exactly what I expected to be honest with you. I, I, I you know, grew up shopping at Old Navy. like I used to go school shopping at Old Navy. So it was like a cool, full circle moment. But I literally told you know, my team, Hey, you know, I I bet it's going to be like dancing around and like, you know, popsicles and like summertime fun. And I came to the shoot and that's exactly what it was. Like I I knew old Navy, you know, I I think I fit in perfectly because I knew exactly what to expect. And it was, it was so fun. You know, I I had a great time it was, it was something that was really cool and different. And, um, like I said, you know, I grew up shopping there, so it's kind of cool that my family gets to see me in, you know,
0: in, in a commercial. Was there ever a moment we were like, okay, this is aired enough? I, I think that we
1: <laughs> You know, I, I've only seen it like two or three times because I, I don't ever have time to watch TV. So I'm like excited. I'm like, wow, I could see myself in a commercial. Or like, I'll be in the room and the TV will be on and all I hear is freedom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here I go again
0: on TV. It's so weird. I mean, what's cool is it's a music video, basically. So it, it, what, like what's right. bad about it? It's awesome. Exactly. Um, But yeah, again, uh, it was so great to have you. And thanks so much for uh, making the time to do this.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you. And thanks for having uh, Mochi, a.k.a. uh, him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If I could just go ahead and suggest a new name for your dog, I'm sure he'll be fine with it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Great talking with you again.
1: You as well. Thank you so much.
0: So that is today's show. Thanks so much to her for joining us. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's XM's volume channel 106 and in the meantime we are a podcast download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts if you can leave us a nice review on Apple podcast that is always appreciated but as always thanks for listening and we'll see you next week